Future Friday. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Future Friday with Hamish Hallett and John Beasy. And for this week we're looking into the future of relationships. So a uh, interesting topic for this week, something quite different from what me and John can speak about. So we're kind of looking into, you know, friendships and obviously like love interests as well. So um, yeah, very kind of a different topic for this week. So um, yeah, John, what is kind of like the current state of like relationships? And you can make this based on like friendships, but also based on like love interests as well, if you want. Well, I would say um, in the present moment, it's definitely um, a bit different with the whole um, COVID shutdowns because now we have, um, well, it's, it's now we have the opportunities to, you know, video call all our friends and it's a lot easier to um, stay in touch. It seems that um, pre-existing relationships have definitely um, have that opportunity to strengthen, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, where, do, where are you going to meet new people? How are you going to make new friends going forward? Or, mm. you know, even date someone beyond, um, you know, you can, you can swipe someone on Tinder and have a Zoom date, but, you know, what is that? You know that's a start, but is that really um, can that really be enough for a, a relationship for everyone? Some not everyone can do um, a long distance relationship that way. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean actually. Um, from personal experience, um, I'm in a long distance relationship right now, and it's it can be quite difficult sometimes. I 100% agree with that. Um, but at the same time, it's a way of it's, it's I don't know. I think it's a way you can manage it. But I agree to the extent that you need to find a way to still have that physical, um, still being there physically in that mm. sense. So you still need, you 100% need that. But um, yeah, I definitely know what you mean though. I think long distance relations can be quite difficult, especially when, even though online dating has made it so much more easier, I still think it's still difficult, you know, definitely 100%. And um, I actually found some, uh, quite an interesting study actually. Um, this this was an article back in 2006, so it is quite old, but it found that Americans have actually fewer friends outside of the family. So the study had actually found there was a significant rise in the number of people who have no close friends, no with whom to discuss important personal matters. And so 25% of those polled have no one to confide in, family or friend. So it's quite, and then a lot of it saying that it's because of our lives becoming a lot more busier. And also technology increasing. So it's not like we can kind of talk to so many different people, but then maybe our close-knit friendships or close-knit like relationships, let's say with your family or with your significant other, is a lot less reduced, a lot less reduced because of the fact that we're speaking to a lot more people because I'm online. So it's like online has its benefits in connecting to more people, but maybe it doesn't have the, it doesn't, create the significant relationship that maybe we had a few years back, if you know what I'm trying to say. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, well, I would say that these are, you know, it's a product of um, broader trends in terms of just how we are kind of individualized, private home life. You know, used to be a lot more, used to be a lot more common for people to have, you know, front yards and to spend time in their front yards and to talk with their neighbors and to have that kind of, um, relationship with people around you. Maybe a lot of friendships are created through, through proximity. That's generally how a lot of school children make with their friends. People usually make friends with people at work because you're forced to spend time with them. But, and same thing with your neighbors. If you're forced to spend time with them, chances are you'll eventually develop some kind of, um, some kind of relationship with them. Yeah, but if you're, definitely. you know, if you're always inside, you're not really going out. If the only people you're interacting with are you know just your classmates and your and your uh, co-workers then it's not a surprise that as people age over time they tend to have fewer and fewer friends as they have to, um you know bit schedules get busy it's harder to keep in touch with people and of course there's always just the the divergence of interests you know people drift apart but mm -hmm. it's um it's hard yeah it is hard for um a lot of people over you know over 30 or something like that to you know, find new friends and to have those kinds of connections. And also maybe to point out as well, um, maybe with like, you know, the whole idea of like church as well. 
And mm. I feel like even that as well, because I feel like there's a lot less churches about and a lot less, and there's more like, I think there's more socialization rather than less. So there's less religion being involved because everyone goes to church on Sunday, for example, or, you know, whatever, you know, other religions do in terms of religious practices, maybe because there's a lot less of that. That's also another way of reducing the amount of um, friend friendships and relationships being created potentially as well. Could that be? Another example. Yeah, I mean, well, religious institutions are uh, they serve an important social function in bringing the community together, and especially um, in the present day, there aren't a lot of institutions that bring people together uh, in general, and especially let along um, in, along uh, intergenerational lines. Mm. You know, if you weren't, if you're not related to someone over seventy, in what context? are we as young people actually, you know, exposed and interacting with them? You know, chances are you're not really talking to many people unless they're your uncle or your grandfather or you're in some kind of care work. Mm. But beyond that, you know, school children hang out with other school children, university people hang out with other university people, old people hang out with other old people, but it's, there's little, you know, old people talking with young people and vice versa and having those kinds of, um, those kinds of relationships, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, like I was thinking it's kind of, um, like my, it's from personal experience, I've, um, I can say I kind of noticed when I was, uh, doing an internship last summer with, uh, a, a more diver, uh, with a workplace that had a greater variety in ages, it was just kind of weird to think of, oh, um, you know, going and, uh, having friends outside of my age group, having to relate to them outside of that you know, finding new things to find a common basis on rather than whatever's um, hip and pop culture today or memes or something. You have to find something that's relatable across across time. Yeah, I actually agree with that a lot because, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree because I find also adding my own personal experience, when I go into work, when I've been working with a group of people, they're a lot older than me. So I'm pretty much, I would say, one of the youngest people there. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is kind of quite difficult to try and, um, find some sort of um, like a sense of um, sim- not a similarity, maybe it's maybe not the right word, but like you know what I mean, like some sort of yeah, it's like a common thing with them. Um, it's very difficult sometimes with someone who's a little bit older than you. Um, I 100% agree with that, definitely. When you've been saying, because I think like yeah, there's definitely this massive disparity between yeah, the older generation and the younger generation, um, which is interesting. I don't, I don't know why. Why the uh, why why that has happened though? I don't know. Is it? I don't know if it could be down to technology, but it could be down to something else. But I don't know what it could be. Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily technology in and of itself. It's most probably more just the ways we use technology. But it's um well yeah if well technology will provide barriers in that it's um you know you have an increase in digital divides if a lot of people are socializing and um or will be increasingly socializing in digital spaces, you don't have access to these digital spaces and you're not really able to participate in those mm-hmm. same ways. But um, yeah, it's just also just, you know, how do you, are, we've had increasingly fewer um, institutions in our societies that uh, encourage people to come together. So it's, you know, how do we expect people to come together and meet and socialize you know, without some kind of church. And I'm not saying that it has to be through a religious institution, but, you know, it's that kind of idea where you get everyone in the community together to do something and, I don't know, maybe share a meal just to, you know, get, you know, the rich to see the poor, the poor to see the rich, and the young to see the old, and vice versa, all that. Yeah, I'm just saying about that. Get yeah. the whole community together. Mm. You know, that fosters greater understanding between you know, different demographics, but if they're all separated and isolated, then it's very easy to see why, you know, you have a stereotype of the lazy millennial and the greedy boomer. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very, yeah, it's pretty contrast of stereotypes, 100%. But I, yeah, I, I still kind of, sometimes when I go to different countries, for example, I can, I can still see, um, you know, cultures where, let's say, younger people are respecting the older or there's more of that coming together, for example, of the older generation and the younger generation. For example, like I go to Italy quite a lot this summer. Obviously, I can't go to Italy this summer because of COVID probably. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of go to Italy quite a lot. And I do see, you know, there's a lot of respect towards the older generation, and a lot more of that 
coming together as a family. Um, 100%. I think, there's, I, think, I think there are still cultures that are out there, but I definitely think if you look into the Western world... The, the thing, it's not sorry, just about within the family, it's about meeting people outside the family. Because that's mm. the thing. Oh, yeah, no, true. Like myself, like, I don't talk to many people over the age of 70 unless they are, like, related. Yeah, actually, yeah, no, that's true. So unless you have, you know, so if you come from a culture that really emphasizes family connections and have the, a history of large families, then yeah, you're going mm. to still have that. But how do you meet people who are not related to you? Not related to you. Yeah, that is true. That's 100% true. Mm. I mean, we're speaking a lot in the, like, the beginning, beginning of this podcast about um, the friendships or like relationships in general, but like could always go towards, um, you know, the love interests and things like that. And I've kind of, Increasingly in our society, I'm seeing quite a lot more kind of, let's say, casual relationships or more open relationships. Um, so, for example, there was one article that I found on Metro, which was done by Laura uh, Abernef, I think it is her name, uh, saying, are we moving towards a society where everyone is polymerous or in an open relationship? Let's just say it's open relationship. Um, but yeah, like why, my kind of next question is kind of why are we seeing more kind of open relationships in that setting? Like how come is that happening? Well, I think it's part of that whole broader change in um, changing gender roles, gender expectations, and you know, what do we, what is our definition and expectations of a, of a relationship? Because for a long time it was, you know, defined as, marriage you know you go through your seven sacra you go through, you know the seven sacraments what marriage is part of them but yeah you have you go to marriage you between one man one woman you have you only have sex within that relationship never without that relationship and so you know it's we kind of have that people are kind of realizing you know maybe i don't necessarily want that maybe that's not what i want or what's good for me and it's also you know changing um norms with in terms of um you know what's expected for each for each gender you know it's men you know there's a stereotype that men are supposed to be promiscuous go around you know it's uh you know a manly man is one who's quote-unquote conquered a lot of women mm. while on the other hand a woman you know there's a lot there's there's the expectation of chastity you have to be a virgin you know there's all sorts of different ideas wrapped up that can be quite um oppressive to women and so if women are starting to you know see themselves more as individuals and not some you know just as you know sex objects for men then of course you're going to start demanding you know greater um a great a different uh a different kind of relationship on their own terms yeah and so if people start realizing that you know it's um you know you don't have to conflate sex with love and you know just have a, a better on, on a whole more holistic understanding of what uh, of human sexuality and what's acceptable and what people and what's healthy and if people are you know start coming to terms and realizing that you know we don't have to conform with what society says a relationship is we can make our own relationship on our own terms based on what works for us mm. yeah that is interesting. Yeah, I definitely have been seeing that a lot as well. Um, I've been seeing like a lot, like less marriages also occurring massively. Like I think marriage rate has been decreasing quite a lot over the next few, or like last few years. Also, unfortunately, divorces have increased. Um, for example, I think in, I don't know if maybe, maybe you don't know this, but in England, I think we passed the Divorce Act in, nine, I think it was like 1970s, I think. I'm not too sure. I can't remember the exact year. I remember when that was part I don't I, I don't remember I don't remember I learned it in sorry I learned it in school um and I saw that when I was learning it in school I saw that when divorce when the divorce act came in lots of women left their husbands and things like that and it kind of showed like yeah there was like this growing like we don't have to be part of a marriage anymore like you don't have to be with a man just to like just to be there to like satisfy or like help the kids and things like that it's like very like gender role based and stuff um it's like women can now be themselves like they can be part of a marriage or they can be part of a marriage or not even be married anymore like they can decide themselves it's like going against yeah definitely going against like gender roles um, yeah i mean you don't even need to you know marry someone it's um 
that's the other thing is people are kind of realizing that, you know, if, if once you take, um, you know, the religious aspect out and that kind of imperative, then it's kind of like, well, do we need to get married? Is that mm. really a thing? Like half the, like half the reason I would expect someone would even want to get married is largely just so you can get, you know, the tax benefits of being considered a single household. Yeah. But in, um, I'm sure in many jurisdictions, like here in Canada, you know, if you live with someone for 12 months, you're considered a common law couple and you get all the same, you get basically the exact same benefits. Oh, really? As if you were um, a married couple. I didn't know that. So what? So if you live with someone in the same household in Canada for what, 12 months, you're basically seen as husband, kind of husband and wife, kind of. Yeah. If, well, if you're not like, roommates or something if you're in a if you are together for 12 months in the same house um yeah you can you can start you can claim you can legally claim yourself as a as a common law couple and start claiming you know a single tax return and all that interesting so you don't have to get married so many people so he so then it becomes a question of like okay well you know do we want the the symbol of our marriage do we want the marriage you know do we want to publicly declare our love to you know our family and friends and have a, a ceremony to celebrate that but it's not a necessary criterion to actually having a functioning happy relationship yeah i also think it's maybe down to um personal experience as well because i think sometimes some people might look at marriage as this amazing thing like for example i think marriage is a great thing because I've been lucky enough to grow up in a, in a very great household, you know, with my mum and dad who have been happily married for, you know, good 20, 25 years or so. You know, mm. I'm very like, you know, that's great. And I think a lot of people might look at marriage and be like, oh, you know, that's really positive. However, some people might not see as marriage as the same sort of idea. So it's definitely personal perspective also comes in, into play to be like, okay, are more people willing to go more open relationships because maybe they didn't have a good view of marriage whereas some other people might be a little bit against these open relationships because they feel like you know what i prefer marriage i prefer that idea because i've had a good meaning i had a good connotation with that meaning you know so i think personal experience comes and goes into it as well well remember not to conflate marriage with monogamy you can very much have a monogamous relationship that's not that's not marriage mm, okay yeah like you can have like you can have like you can have two people that are lived together and, you know, raise a child for, um, you know, for 20 years. But, you know, the main difference is that they're wearing rings and one, you know, one person's wearing a ring and the other person yeah. isn't. And they might have a, a, you know, a certificate saying they're married and they might even have the same last name. But beyond that, it's, you know, it's still monogamy. Mm, okay. Even then, yeah. could, even then you could still have, you know, you can, you could have, theoretically have um you know really um you can have a marriage with open elements mm. like you know it can because that's what the other thing is you know don't is to conflate is remember not to conflate love with sex you know you can very much have a, a marriage with someone as a symbol of you know i'm committed to you as a person and I want, and I love you for who you are, where we have this reciprocal relationship, we have that deeper emotional connection. But, you know, maybe, you know, if they want to, they can come to agreements on their own terms. Like, yeah, maybe if, um, if one of them wants to, or desires it, you know, they can go out and, um, you know, maybe sleep with someone else. It's, it's not so much an issue of that because the issue isn't so much about whether or not someone inherently does sleep with someone else in a marriage. It's about whether or not, because mm. yeah. it's, it's a version of that expectation of monogamy, of that expectation that you are exclusive to that person. But once you've you know, discussed that and have uh, established what you both want out of the relationship, yeah. mm. if you did both decide it's, it's okay, you know, it's, it's, it's natural to lust, and if you know any of you both agree that it's capable to, you know, it's capable to have sex with someone without necessarily loving them or making, or meaning that it's a, or making that a diminishment of your value of your, of your, of your partner. Um, you know, it's fine. It's, it's all a matter of what the, I think it, what matters. It's a matter of what the couple agrees upon. 
Mm, yeah. Making sure they all have the same expectations. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. Not, it's only cheating if there's that expectation of monogamy. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely goes down to like yeah, communication or about relationship as well. It's the fact you got to communicate those values, those ideas with your partner, hundred percent. Like, and then and that's when you then can create your own idea of your own relationship and how you want to perceive it as. I think that's definitely. Yeah, I think that's definitely. I definitely agree with what you just said. It's in, in that sense, hundred percent. Yeah. And um, and kind of like, what do you kind of feel like? We obviously spoke about yeah how relationships are becoming a lot more open. Um, because of what you're saying about the whole gender gender roles kind of changing and ideas like that. What kind of kind of barriers and challenges do you think are facing relationships and if you want to go back to like friendships as well like we can also make that conversation as well like yeah what kind of barriers and challenges are there with relationships right now i think the 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 moment right now is um as i said before is you know the covid shutdowns is how do you um how do we maintain relationships and how do we have um you know how do you meet how do you meet people yeah like right now it's hard, but then, you know, going forward, you know, if we're going to enter a world where um, people are less physically close to each other, you're not necessarily meeting as many people. You might be working from home a lot or you into going to school from home. So you might not necessarily have those kinds of, you know, social opportunities, you know, go get a, go get a beer with, uh, with your coworkers after work or, you know, do whatever with friends after school. If you don't have those opportunities, then where do we get to meet people? How how can we meet people? Yeah, it's like it's just trying to say like, is it is it the same trying to meet someone virtually, or is it like is it the same trying to meet someone virtually as in seeing them in the real world, or they're both completely different ideas? That's that's the question we've got to like ask ourselves, kind of thing. Personally, I think it's completely different. You know, me seeing someone on like Zoom or house party or Skype, for example, can be very different to seeing someone in physical person. But maybe some people might actually disagree with that and think actually, you know, Zoom parties and house parties online and things like that, they're kind of, I feel kind of the same way as I meet the person in real life, maybe, you know? I, yeah, I'd say they're different. Uh, yeah definitely nicer than um like a video like meeting someone in a video chat it's definitely nicer than um meeting them in um you know just on a text chat mm. but it's um i would say it's i think the big thing with the difference in online is you don't really have a context in which you meet someone mm-hmm. in the sense that like you know let's say you 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 know you're on tinder and you swipe on someone you match okay, well, unless they have an interesting photo or something interesting in their profile, what do you have in common? What do you start talking about? Besides, like, if you're going through something more than just a hookup, what are you, like, how do you start a conversation? What is there for you to relate with each other about? How do you connect? Rather, if you meet someone in a physical place, there's all sorts of different things you can talk about. You know, if you bumped into someone and they dropped it, you can talk about that. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about um, whatever you're, you know, whatever place you are. If you're at a pub, you can talk about the music and the beer. Yeah. There's, you know, there's an infinite number of things that you can talk and, sh- and relate to someone with. But online, many, in many different contexts, that information is all taken away. And so you're just kind of forced to have this very awkward conversation of, hi, how are you? What do you like? I like this, blah, blah, blah. And it yeah. doesn't really go anywhere because, you know, what is there? You match with someone like, okay, cool. But why do I want to talk with them? What's interesting yeah. in them beyond their face? I'm like, exact, I, oh my God, I completely, with like online dating platforms, I completely get that. I just, yeah, like when I want to try and, I don't know, like swipe right or stuff like that, it's like, what the hell? You know, it, it, you, you don't really achieve anything. This was before me going in a relationship, by the way. But like, you know, it's like that kind of thing. It's like, you know, you, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I agree with that. It doesn't really have any sort of meaning behind it. But um, I was actually about to ask, though, what about, um, obviously, we've seen technology kind of improving. But like, what about, um, what's the word? Like, full sensory, full sensory dating? Like, where you have, I don't know, let's say you kind of, 
put on a headset, for example, what about you create and you have two people having headsets on and they and you could create your own room. Like let's say for example, you you've been saying like how you can make conversation out out and about in physical terms, like going outside, for example, going out to a park, seeing how nice weather is. What if you try and create a room through like virtual reality? Could that create the same sort of feeling or do you not or do you not maybe not think that could happen? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I would say VR would definitely be a step up over video because it then creates a space where you can have that kind of shared relationship. Because then it's like, what kind of place we want to meet in? Where are we going to go? How are we going to present ourselves? Because it's not just, because in VR, you're not necessarily, you don't have to present yourself. You can pick whatever kind of avatar you want. You know, do you want to show up as an anime character? You know, go for it. So you have all these different things to talk about. You can talk about how you're presenting yourself. You can talk about where you are. You can talk about how cumbersome it is to try to talk with each other in VR. Yeah. <laughs> There's infinitely more things to talk about than just, um, than just on Tinder, but it's all depends on like, you know, how the structure, how the technology is structured. Cause that's, you know, part of the issue with Tinder is that it's primarily designed as a hookup app. So it's not going to be effective at meeting, making you meet someone for something beyond a hookup. That's, mean, not its, it's, that's not its intended purpose. Yeah, I mean, with Tinder, though, I think there's still been relationships or even marriages been created out of it still. Like, we can't just Absolutely. say, like, like, don't get me wrong, like, don't get me wrong, I agree with you, what you're saying, like, it can be, can be like a hookup app. I agree. But, like, it, it also has created, you know, like, marriages and relationships as well. Like, don't get me wrong, yeah. That's, 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 no, that, no, that's the thing is it very much can be used in that way. But the thing is, it's designed in mind with hookup. It's designed primarily with hookups in mind. And when, it thing, when the app is designed in that way, it makes it easier to facilitate that kind of information. That's why it presents you primarily with a photo. And then you have to find the information, you know, afterwards, you have to click to go see that it's, it's, a little more hidden and it doesn't really make any considerations into what their interests are in regards to whether or not they're a good match for you all it does is just show you uh pictures and shows you the picture you're most likely to swipe you know most likely to like but it's all based primarily on you know do, do i find this person attractive enough looking because that's what you're generally looking for in a hookup you're looking for someone attractive not yeah. for someone um with a substantial personality Oof. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. So that's why um, it's like using Tinder is gonna be something different than some than other platforms like OkCupid that primarily are meant for dating and will then, you know, ask you, you know, two hundred questions and then we'll give you percentages on how well you match with other people. You know, the different yeah. kinds of apps and what they're trying to accomplish will dictate what's um what's easier to do. Like it's gonna be a lot harder to find a hookup on OkCupid than it is to find an actual relationship. Yeah, that is true. Or like, I don't know, you, you see these dating apps which address towards like, I don't know, over 50s or over 40s. You know, those kind of apps as well. Yeah, you, you definitely have like lots of that. Um, but yeah, so I've mentioned obviously the uh, virtual reality, what a, a way, a method maybe changing relationships. Like what could be like another way of changing relationships? Um, do you think? Well, I would say VR is probably the, the big one that'll make it um better that's probably the primary one um and of course there's also different you know i mean there's different technologies for um you know there's like teledildos <laughs> oh my god might, we might have to put this we might have to put this podcast as like um explicit content but like <laughs> You know, there are, I mean, there are these different, um, okay, yeah. you know, like pillows or something that'll light up when someone else is on it or, you know, different kinds of toys you can use remotely. Yeah. So there are ways in which you can do these things. Um, there's even um, remote kissing as well, actually. Um, yeah. No, there's there's that. even that, which is quite interesting, quite interesting, actually, when I found that out. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, and even, let's try and maybe go towards, like, friendships again, but, like, there's even rent a family service and that's really popular in japan which i was like what what is this like this is where services can literally find can, where services help single men rent a wife or a whole family for a period of time and you can even rent a, fr a friend i'm like yeah. what 
this is bizarre. Like, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Do you know more about this at all? Or if you yeah, don't I mean, know- well, there's the, you know, there's the US website just straight up called rentafriend.com. Um, all right. Yeah. Which, you know, will let you essentially rent someone's time to be their friend. And it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like, I don't want to say it's like an escort, but it's like, yeah, it's kind of like a platonic, I mean, escorts are already kind of platonic, but it's kind of like a platonic escort. Yeah. So, you, know, you, you, you go, you pay someone to have, to hang out with you, but then it's also, it's, 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 it's really weird because it's on the one hand it is, um, like there are like lots of very lonely people who do kind of need that, that kind of interaction. But at the same time, it's, you know, there's, um, there's questions of its authenticity. Yeah. Cause you know, you, when you imagine a friendship, you imagine a, a relationship where you, you know, there's mutual care. You both care for the other person who, and in and of they, who they are. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of reciprocity and give and take. And so when you, you know, bring in money into the, into the equation where you're essentially paying someone to be your friend, then it's kind of, you know, to what extent do you genuinely like me? And to what extent are you tolerating me because I'm paying you? It also loses that kind of natural um, interact, interaction as well, you know, as because mm-hmm. if you're being friends with someone, it's, it's supposed to be very, very natural. Like you kind of get along with them naturally. Um, and you don't have to then, yeah, like paying for someone to be your friend is, I mean, it, it could be, I mean, some people might have a different view to this, but I personally think it's a bit, I don't know, it, it doesn't really have that same meaning as a friendship. You know, you're just paying someone to be there just to like, not for you not to be alone. Like, you know, it's, it's a bit, yeah, again, it's, it, it's questionable, definitely. I would agree. I would say like, it can maybe, like a friendship can maybe start out that way. You know, you pay someone to meet you and you hang out with a while and maybe if you'd like really, you know, hit it off as like, you know, find out you're actually really good friends. You know, maybe you don't need to be paid to, in order to spend your time with that person. That's, you know, it can be, it could be a decent way of meeting someone, but, you know, the longer it goes and the longer it becomes a paid thing, then it's kind of, you know, what, you know, what is it? You know, it's not really, yeah. um, that's not really what a friendship is. Completely. No, definitely. And um, yeah, speaking a little bit more about the friendships idea. Um, I actually found a super, super cool article on NPR, which was saying it was like a video and then dash the future friendship machine. Um, I, I know I sent this over to you kind of before um, the day before the, the day before this, mm-hmm. um, which was looking at. So the Columbia University was trying to like basically trying to look into our into the participants brains to see like how um, how they kind of react in terms of looking at a friend or looking at people, how they kind of, how they interact with people basically. So it's, um, so they were like 20 young adults. So they all met for the first time. Some of them befriended them. Some of them had a word really chatty with them. And then some of them were a bit like cold to each other or weren't as precipitate or like weren't as um, warm. Let's just say that. And so the sort of university then used this fMRI machine, which is like this kind of brain machine for each of the participants. And then they were trying to capture the neural response of each member of this study um, to see like how they would react to person X or compared to person Y or person Z, for example. And they could actually find a lot of things actually from that machine to look into like how the brain reacts rather than actually asking questions to individuals, which I thought was very, very cool. So in that sense, it could be, that could also like be quite a cool like weak signal in suggesting that that could change the way we kind of predict friendships. It definitely changes the whole dynamic. So yeah, that was really, really cool what I looked into. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, that can definitely be, um, I mean, I think what we'll probably end up seeing more in the future is a kind of friend dating. You know, imagine okay, Cupid, but like to meet friends. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be, because that, because of, I mean, essentially, a relationship is just a really, really good friend. Then maybe they put out, and that's yeah. There's there's that, um, but there isn't a lot separating, you know, a kind of um, like a good friendship from that. So I think that could be a really good way for help to help people meet, um, 
people that they're generally going to like. But on the same time, it's um, it can be a bit different because not always. Now, how many times have you met someone and you thought you liked, you know, they made a good impression, but the more you kind of got to know them, you're kind of like, I don't yeah. really like this person. <laughs> or, you know, you meet someone and, you know, they kind of rub you the wrong way at first, but maybe over time you kind of come around to their side and you realize, oh, okay, you're not really that bad. Or, you know, you might have had yeah. a rivalrous attitude and you kind of come to respect each other. Completely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's like sometimes I kind of meet, I mean, I meet quite a few people like it's in like, obviously you might have met loads of people in university and sometimes, yeah, you meet someone for the first time. You think, oh, wow, what an idiot. <laughs> and then, but then after a while you might think he or she's completely fine. And yeah, that's true. Actually, that's a very, that is a good point actually to make. I didn't actually thought that. Um, very mm-hmm. good idea because yeah, hundred percent because yeah, it kind of, yeah, you never know really. You never know how to, who, who, who you're going to be friends with. Like how 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 can you predict that? That's very difficult because sometimes, yeah, you know, first impression. Point of yeah. so many movies is it's you know they're the unlikeliest of friends, and now they have to come together to save the world or whatever. Oh yeah, cringe. Yeah, completely. So you know that's, you know, if that's a thing, then you know, yeah, it can be really it, that can be a really helpful tool to help people meet each other, mm. but. It could also be quite, um, you know, a little issue if people start relying on it too much. Like, oh, I'm not really, I'm not going to invest my time into hanging out with you because it says we only have a, a 60% chance. When they're in reality, you know, yeah. that could actually be someone who's really, you know, really good for you. The other thing is also you don't want to meet people who are going to, you know, you also might want to meet people who want to challenge you and give you new perspectives and mm-hmm. show you something different. I actually agree with that because get stuck yeah. in the same kind of friend group and you know especially if you're um like maybe you're not maybe you're not in the best you know you're not in the best kind of crowd and maybe you want to get out or have or have different friends but it can be difficult if the, if you know these kinds of things keep putting you in with the same kind of people yeah well even like I was about to say like politics so let's say you're friends with people who have the same sort of politics or the same sort of like eco chamber, or like you're, you're within an eco chamber with the same sort of ideas, mm-hmm. you don't really, you don't expand yourself as a person. So if you're even, let's say you're like, you want to create your a perfect, per, like a perfect friend, for example, which I know sounds like a really bad idea, but let's just say, let's say you are able to do that. Some mm-hmm. people might be like, you know what, I want someone who is completely agrees with me, someone who completely agrees with my views, agrees with that, agrees, you know, it's that doesn't grow you as a person. Mm-hmm. You'd rather be with a friend who you want to be friends with, who actually improves you, who actually gives you a different perspective on life, someone who's very different. And sometimes if you have, yeah, for example, like what you just said, like let's say you have a 60% chance of being friends with them or like a very low percentage of being friends with them. It's like, well, hold on. Would you rather be, you'd rather be friends with so many different types of people because that then makes you a much more of a different person, not just, you know, the same sort of type of values and same sort of ideas so yeah it's a definitely a big 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 up big question so yeah it's quite cool that mm-hmm. yeah definitely so um but yeah no i think lastly kind of let's try and like close this kind of idea off like what kind of what might relationships look like in the future i know it's a very big question to ask um especially the fact like well we have covid right now mm-hmm. um so we don't know if for example, like going out and dating anyone is going to be the same, especially up, you know, with social distancing and things like that. But yeah, what could might what might be the future for relationships? Well, I think we'll see a continuation of a lot of what we've been seeing, you know, over the last few decades. You know, an increase, um, you know, an increase in, um, you know. Uh, open relationships and new kinds of sexuality, different, um, different gender expectations, um, you know, a greater increase in um, a more liberalized um, gender roles. And then of course, you'll also see, um, I think uh, big changes in family structures, you know, maybe not necessarily see, um, yeah, new, I mean, the, the two person nuclear families will definitely be a thing, but I can see, um, a decrease in um you know or i should say an increase in um single parent households i mean those have been on the rise for a while mm, and true, um true. yeah those have been on the rise for a while and doesn't necessarily have to be um 
a bad thing or even just um or even just uh, you know couples that get together um or like or you know co-parenting you don't necessarily you can parent with someone without necessarily being in a relationship with them yeah or um same-sex uh, partners as well actually that's a big one yeah that's yeah so you don't necessarily even have to be in a relationship with someone to you know raise a child so long as it's um you know so long as both parents are you know amicable you know they're ha- and they're you know they're, they're ha- i think the most, most important is if the child can see that the parents are happy and if they and if they're giving the child you know the attention and love it needs then you know that's fine so long as they have you know then if, if they're growing up to be a well-adjusted child then it doesn't really necessarily matter what kind of structure of a family they're they're in so long as they're you know it's a loving household yeah completely 100 yeah i kind of definitely will agree with that 100 i think it'll be very interesting to see in the future i think yeah we might see less people go into marriages i think right now as it seems um i think we'll interact a lot more online but we were already kind of interacting with a lot online anyway but i think there'll be a lot more of an increase of it um definitely increase once vr is a thing it'll really once vr is widespread it'll definitely be um that'll be a huge thing oh yeah 100 it'll definitely um reduce the barrier to just uh long distance relationships oh yeah 100 percent, definitely and yeah i think when technology increases that's when it kind of expands um the ideas 100 percent. so yeah no really good really cool um conversation we just had about relationships um we can definitely go to our weak signal um so i'll go first so basically i found a really cool weak signal um about uh ai turning a lot, lot more greener and more efficient so this system called early bird which is a form of ai can become a lot more is is a lot more energy efficient than sort of normal ais so this system called early bird uses 10.7 times less energy than deep neural networks or dnns uh, this has and also it has the same level of accuracy or even better than typical ais which is pretty cool um so normally ais can be very very expensive and it was already can be like very expensive anyway but there's also they are increasing cost right now actually so they are becoming more expensive in general um, over time and even one study found that the carbon footprint for training a single dnn was almost the same as the lifetime carbon dioxide emission for five u.s automobiles so it shows that ai is one very very expensive and it can emit a lot of um you know carbon footprint as well which is i don't think i mean in a time that we want to become a lot more um energy efficient a lot more greener i don't think we want ai to be you know doing a lot of um, environmental damage so even though we want a world that is technologically um proficient or efficient um we don't want a world that is also going to become worse for the environment so that's a big um, ask but now with early bird it might showcase that ai can be efficient for the environment and again it's showcasing that technology can again go hand in hand with environmental progress um and there are certain groups of people in this in this industry in this industry that are trying to make AI better for the environment so it seems this weak signal is interesting to, to look at and helping ai become greener so yeah what do you think about this john yeah no that's um it's great uh the energy impact of training different neural networks is really um quite impactful there's one study where is it there's one paper from the open um there's one paper um that claims that the carbon emissions for training a basic neural uh language processing model which is about as equal to the co2 produced by the average american lifestyle over 2 years the more robust models can require the equivalent of about 17 years worth of emissions what oh my god wow so yeah i mean or you know now it's not necessarily an ai but you know bitcoin mining it uses more energy than the entire country of cuba yeah that's incredible so there's a lot like it's ai can be useful in you know reducing energy costs once it's you know knows what it's doing but it still has to get trained and on that kind of information so to what extent can it's are these um energy 
you know, if AI can be used to make certain energy systems more efficient, to what extent is it really better if it uses so much more energy just to train it? Yeah. So anything that can really, you know, decrease its energy footprint could definitely help make it, you know, make it go a lot farther. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, yeah, in a world that we want to, you know, have technological progress, we also want a world that becomes better for an environment. And um, yeah, the fact that AI just right now isn't, isn't doing great in terms of environment, I think it's quite concerning. But at least that this is being um, shown, at least this kind of, these kind of systems are trying to be developed now to be a lot more greener, which is good, 100% really good. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is it's, um, it also matters, you know, how you're getting your electricity. Mm, definitely. You know, if you're get if all, if these AI, you know, if these AI systems are all being trained on renewable energy, then there isn't necessarily that carbon footprint. Not just to say we don't, we shouldn't strive for efficiency. We should, but um, the carbon footprint is only so much an issue when there's, you know, carbon involved. Yeah, definitely. And and could you could we maybe go be in a world where, let's say, we have AI and it's relying on renewable energy, like let's say a solar system or wind power? Could that maybe work? Could it oh, be enough okay. energy? I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, was it Google, Facebook, Amazon? They're all looking for um, Microsoft. They're all looking to make their data centers, you know, carbon neutral by whatever dates. I think they all have different timelines, but you know, they're all working on that. And I think some of them already are, you know, um, you know, already are doing that. So it is, um, it is, it is more than possible. It is more than feasible. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, you know, even just like, you know, hydroelectric energy, you know, mm. Canada gets about 80% of our energy from hydroelectric and other renewable sources. So, you know, if we're training AIs here, unless you're in the Maritimes, chances are it's, um, you know, it's, it's being trained on, on greener energy. Mm. Definitely. That would be interesting now. Definitely. So yeah, what is your um, week signal then for this week, John? I have got a weak signal about a startup uh, backed by Samsung that has created, uh, called Sunny5, that has created a window that functions, uh, that can basically generate artificial sunlight. Hmm. So it mimics, um, you know, a lot of the sun's effects of, um, you know, it mimics a lot of the effects of actual sunlight. It'll, you know, make the light move around as if the sun were setting and whatnot and um, emits the certain, uh, the certain same amounts of radiation that we get from the sun because, you know, light is just um, different assortments of radiation and the, the radiation emitted by light bulbs is a bit different than the radiation emitted by, by, uh, by the sun. Mm. So this works to mimic that and can be very useful in, um, you know, making indoor spaces a lot more livable. You know, I can say from experience, I was like, you know, looking at apartments for rent and I saw one place that looked really cool, but then I realized that the windows, you know, had a really terrible view that looked directly out to the parking lot, um, like to the wheels of cars. So it was like beneath the level and like, oh, I don't want to live there. That's a bad place. But, you know, if you can have windows that produce sunlight then you know you don't necessarily have a change it can changes the game in architecture you don't have to have all the rooms or you know have to have the entire apartment you know have access to you know the outside and get to natural light yeah and to also make um it can also make um the you know winters a lot better if you're if people are prone to seasonal depression Mm-hmm. that's true definitely all right the rain and of course um you know this article is also discussing its potential use um you know in in bunkers oh wow that's cool because you're, like, you're in a place that doesn't have any sunlight well you got to get something somehow or even yeah. you know it could be used that's in space true. or anywhere it helps some um, you know it's it's um it can be um quite useful in that regard or even if it's or imagine if it can get combined with say um not only would say we develop effective 3D screens, and I'll imagine, you know, when you watch those sci-fi movies where they have, um, 
don't know if you've seen the Hunger Games, but when Katniss arrives in the capital and they let her, um, you know, she can, in her fancy, I guess, hotel room or whatever, you know, they have a, a, a vista of the entire, of the city, but then she can change it to display, you know, oh, yes. a yeah, forest yeah. or whatever. And so, you know, imagine that you can have whatever kind of view you want out of your windows mm. and it still produce, you know, sunlight for you. Yeah, there's lots of like possibilities then with this then, 100%. I think it, it's a way of, yeah, making your home or even what you could even put this in your workplace as well, like so much more um, connected oh, with the environment. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, so it's definitely very interesting and um, what it can do. Mm, definitely. And it's, yeah, it can be, definitely be used in like attics as well. Um, it can be used in different ways. It also, I feel like if we have this sort of system in place, it also reduces the need for using like lights, like actual like LED lights and stuff. And it also helps reduce light pollution massively as well because of the fact that, you know, if buildings emit so much artificial light in our in buildings, then it means a lot of light pollution is then created. That could mean wildlife is affected, let's say birds crash into buildings. The fact that this is now using more natural light, this could mean less of those fatalities for birds which would be interesting maybe well it's still artificial it's artificial oh, it's artificial. oh is it okay so. well that's the whole point of it is it's creating their their wind their fake windows that create artificial sunlight to be used in rooms where there are no windows oh my god right okay sure right okay i've got that completely confused okay sure 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 so okay did it did it examine that effect though did it examine like, I don't know, or, or does it, does, it, does like animals get affected by this? Maybe not, maybe not. Well, I mean, like in a lot of say vertical farms with emphasizing hydroponics, they use special kinds of LEDs that emit the right amount of radiation for photosynthesis. So, you know, it can be useful for plants and indoors, but in terms for animals, I don't, think it'll be an issue and for like birds or um or outside unless we're putting them outside because that's the whole point is that these are indoors yeah that's the thing yeah if it's put indoors then it should be absolutely fine then yeah i mean that's i mean that's the other thing is you know indoor lighting isn't what contributes a lot to um light pollution you know it's it's street lights it's cars it's you know lights on the outside yeah that's true, actually. No, it's interesting. Mm, very, very interesting. But yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, John. Is that it for your week signal? Or do you have anything else yeah. to add? Yeah. Okay, great. That was, yeah, really great conversation um, about relationships and also about our week signals as well. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much, John, for coming in again. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to this another episode of Future Friday. Uh, you can stay tuned uh, for next week for another episode. You can find our other episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Until next week, have a great week. Thanks very much. Bye.